views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Radio. This is a live broadcast on this Wednesday night as we're on every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Sorry we were a couple of minutes late. I was having some uh, technical issues, but those are all straightened out. We shouldn't have any more problems doing the rest of the broadcast. So um hope that you can spend the next hour with us as we do have a special guest coming on and we of course the panel will be focusing on this very important issue you know there are so many different intersections with prison slavery some people call it mass incarceration um, but there are just so many layers to this and tonight we will be speaking with Melissa Holmes who is the CEO of Love Shouldn't Hurt now this is an organization in, in based in the Bronx in New York, which focuses on domestic violence. Now, once Melissa comes on and we get the panel brought in, we hope to discuss the various ways that women end up in U.S. prison slavery, which includes those who were in abusive, life-threatening situations. We want to also remind the community that women, and particularly black women, have been the fastest growing segment of the U.S. prison slave population in the past decade or so. They started trending upward, and I believe it's upwards of 700% since the 90s during the Clinton administration. Uh, Love Shouldn't Hurt, again, is based in New York. It's in in the Bronx, and it has a support group on Facebook. This is what the About page states, and we link to it in our uh, promo for tonight. So if this sounds like something that you might want to look into, this is what LSH in short. Again, Love Shouldn't Hurt. It is an awareness and support group which is comprised of victims, survivors, and lots of supporters. After surviving two abusive relationships, our guest tonight, Melissa Holmes, started a Love Shouldn't Hurt as a secret group on social media. What she was looking to do was to provide a arena to vent and support others who had or were suffering from domestic violence. And I will also say, of course, PTSD and, and all the other uh, traumas associated with that. Uh, LSH is giving a sense of purpose through their daily prayers and supportive posts, motivating people to leave abusive situations and helping them to heal. There has been occasion where occasions where LSH has assisted victims in escaping their abusers. So again, you know, um, I already found a couple of articles that tie into this, how we tie domestic violence to prison slavery, how we tie that to the 13th Amendment. Um, of course, a lot of women who end up in, in prison from what they would claim stand your ground. And there's a story I came across where this woman claimed stand your ground in a case um, where she warned the person to stop. They didn't stop. And she ended up shooting them, unfortunately, uh, uh, killing uh, this person. But, you know, in, the, in my research on that, people were talking about how, oh, stand your ground must be for just for white men. Um, and this was a white woman. But, you know, in most cases, 
it seems that women are not afforded the same protections under stand your ground. I don't mean to take it into that kind of debate because that's a whole separate other uh, type of debate. But these women often end up in prison slavery where, again, I read articles over the past couple of days where prisoners, female prisoners are being abuse sexually and physically and definitely in most of the cases in most of the prisons they're not even getting um the psychological help that they need from that post-traumatic stress from that violent relationship so in case you didn't know new abolitionist radio is a collaborative effort between the nonprofit organizations prison street talks ministries and the black talk media project is hosted by a, a group Effort, Taysom McCullum, Mother Khadijah, Maxwell Melvins, with, of course, contributions from yours truly, uh, Scotty T. Reed. New Abolitionist Radio. Once again, we broadcast live every Wednesday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on the Black Talk Radio Network and on its digital radio station, which you can find us on TuneIn for live uh, streaming of the uh, radio station as well. So with that said, let me uh, bring in our panelists and let them give their opening greetings to the listeners, and then we'll check the board and and see if uh, our guest has joined us. Um, I do see that we have uh, Brother Tyson and Mother Khadijah on the line. Greetings to you all, to you both. Thanks for having us, Scotty. Uh, what's on your mind? What's been on your mind since our last broadcast? If you could share something with us briefly, any upcoming events or or anything that Prison Street Talks Ministry is taking part in? Actually, we always have our ongoing campaign and movement, Saving Children, Saving Lives, which specifically assists families and children dealing with incarcerated parents, domestic violence, and neglect, and this is something that will be ongoing, and it's good that we're having a show like this because domestic violence actually is something that people aren't aware of. 75% of women are actually incarcerated because of domestic violence. So this show is really important to me. So Saving Children, Saving Lives, really want to reach out to as many people as we can to help the youth become entrepreneurs so we can become self-sufficient. And that's what we've been focusing on, just helping communities just to, to do better and, and not give up because of all the problems we have and the legal system against us. So we just pretty much been focusing on our campaign and the radio station. Yeah, well, we also been active, too, as well, um, Brother Reed. Um, we just fed the women's shelter and the men's shelter um, and the, um, the local neighborhoods, well, minority um, local neighborhoods. We just cast out sandwiches and things like that. And, and you're talking about Charlotte, that. right? Mecklenburg County? Yes, 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 sir. Mecklenburg County. We actually was in, um, over there off of um, North Charlotte. We went through North Charlotte. We went downtown to the wall. We went to the um, the local men's shelter as well as the women's shelter. Stood out there and passed out sandwiches because, um, you know, these people need to eat, man. And you know that in these shelters here, man, you, you are not allowed to bring in food in. They give you three meals a day, but these people be hungry after the certain times that they feed them. You know, being incarcerated, I understand how it is to, to you know, to eat at 4.30, 5 o'clock and be hungry at 7 o'clock. You feel what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. these people can't eat. So, you know, we, we take them food at the hours. You know what I'm saying? that. They can step outside because they give them smoke breaks. So when they step outside for their smoke breaks, I just have them go on there and call people out so I can be able to get them sandwiches so they can have a snack. Because, man, it's hard, man. You know, they it, and when you go back to slavery and things like that, how is you open up a shelter and you tell people when they can come in and when they can't, when they can't come in? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's all slavery. Yeah, and can, I'm also thinking, though, I'm also thinking, Brother Tyson, as you rightly state, there's hungry people out there. And, again, I don't want to veer too far off of, you know, uh, what we focus on on this program, but it kind of interconnects. Right, right. Again, it's so much interconnectedness, you know, in this whole thing. But I'm just thinking about uh, President Trump's administration proposal to to cut SNAP again, you know, by, by I don't want, I think it's like a trillion dollars from Medicare and uh, SNAP. I think it's something like a couple of hundred million from SNAP. 
And so that means even more hungry people. And guess what? Some people get so hungry that they will do things that they otherwise might not do to attain the means to obtain some food. It's real out here. The struggle is real out here for too many families, for too many individuals. So that's a great service. You know, some people might not think that's much of giving somebody a sandwich, but hey, you don't know that might be the only sandwich they had that day. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, and that's what it's about. Just pretty much just making sure that everybody has what they had. And you know, we gotta. It, it's a village. It takes a village for all of us to raise each other and and take care of each other. Because you never know. At any given time, any of us could lose our job. So it's a matter of us just sticking it together, seeing what we got, share resources, and networking's the key. And we can't be judgmental because you don't know what puts someone in that position. So, and you can't tell someone, get over it either, because, you know, it's up to them to make changes. So we're just here to help people rehabilitate themselves mentally. And we're still waiting on our scheduled guest, Melissa Holmes, to call in. If she is out there listening, you can call in now. Um, Max may have forgotten to call her, but I swear I saw somebody with the name Melissa, I don't know that was her, that was on our guest, um, excuse me, that was on our other line. Um, but they hung up before I could uh, speak with them. So if you're listening, please give us a call. Uh, we have changed it up. I know originally you were told 8.30, but we changed it up. It's only an hour-long program, so we bring in the guests at the top of the hour. So uh, that telephone number is 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. But there's no reason that we cannot jump into the topic of domestic violence and how it intersects with prison slavery. So, for example, uh, uh, um, Brother Tyson and Sister Khadijah, my fellow abolitionists, let me share with you this article that I came across this morning. And as soon as I saw the article, I thought about, you know, the mission of love shouldn't hurt. Um, and I thought about, you know, Melissa Holmes, our, our scheduled guest, even though, you know, I've never spoken to her, but I did my research on what she does. So this comes to you from the appeal.org. An Alabama woman is facing a life sentence for killing man who allegedly raped her, raped her. In 2018, Brittany Smith killed a man who she said brutally raped her. Smith was charged with murder. And now she faces life in prison as well as challenges getting adequate treatment at a state psychiatric hospital. At 1.18 a.m. on January 16, 2018, Brittany Smith texted her mother, Mom, Todd has tried to kill me, literally. Don't act like anything is wrong. He will kill me if, if he knows. Brittany's mother, Ramona McCallie, frantically called her daughter and her son, Chris McCallie, and Joshua Todd Smith, an acquaintance of Brittany's who went by to speak to Todd, but no one answered. Uh, minutes later, Chris arrived at Brittany's home in Stevenson, Alabama, near Tennessee's southern border, armed with a pistol and ready to defend his sister inside. Chris placed his gun on the counter and told Todd, who Brittany said had raped her earlier that night, to leave. Instead, according to statements provided to police, Todd put Chris in a headlock. As Todd punched Chris, Brittany ran into the kitchen, grabbed a gun, and warned Todd she was going to shoot him, according to a statement she gave to police. When Todd did not back off, she shot him once. Unsure, the bullet hit him, um, and after Todd continued to beat Chris, Brittany fired the weapon several more times until Todd dropped to the floor. Brittany called 911 and Todd was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Now, according to the medical examiner's report, Todd had bullet wounds in his arms, shoulder, ribs, and abdomen. Now, uh, Brittany told investigators from the Jackson County Sheriff's Department that Todd became violent after she agreed to let him sleep on the couch at her house for the night. She said Todd brutally raped her twice at one point, knocking her unconscious. A rape crisis center report obtained by the appeal describes 33, 33 wounds on Brittany's body, including bite marks on her neck and chin. A toxicology report found that Todd had methamphetamines in his system along with alcohol. Chris told the sheriff's department investigators that he shot Todd, but Brittany admitted the next day that she was responsible for his death. She was then arrested on a murder charge and held at the Jackson County Jail on $100,000 
bond. And so it goes on and on. I'm going to share it. I've already shared this article in BTR community, but I'm going to share it to our Facebook page for New Abolitionist Radio because it goes on and, and, and on. So, you know, at, at, it doesn't seem like she was given, and I don't know the process in Alabama. Of course, it's not the same in every state. I know from the George Zimmerman case and in Florida, you know, they have a little stand your ground hearing and what have you. I'm not reading anything, you know, about any stand your ground. And I know Alabama has stand your ground laws now. Um, and so again, you know, um, this woman warned him, um, stand your ground is supposed to be about defending your life or that of another. And so, you know, and then the, the, uh, compounding evidence of, of physical and sexual assault. I, I just can't believe that the prosecutor, uh, you all is, is looking to charge this woman with murder. Okay. Why murder? Perhaps, you know, you would think, okay, maybe I'm on the fence about this. She didn't have to shoot him that many times. So, you know, manslaughter, you know, something like that. She didn't mean to kill him, but, hey, somebody was killed. We're going to charge her with manslaughter. They went for a murder charge. Of course, that could be to coerce her into pleading to a lesser charge. We don't know. But I don't. I feel like this woman is a victim, and she shouldn't be facing any charges. Your thoughts? Well, my, I totally agree. My my issue with this whole thing is how is she going to ever heal being locked up? What is locking in a domestic violence survivor up? Because um, I was reading somewhere, and I believe uh, about 60% of the women's prison nationwide have about a percentage of sexual abuse prior and abuse before they get locked up. So these are victims prior to being locked up. This lady with this article... Did she not get self-defense? She did the, the, the her legal defense didn't go for that. It's still you know, early like, on, as far as I can tell, and um, so it might cover some of those de- details. But it was a fairly long article, and you know we're on the radio. We don't want to read <laughs> long articles right, right, and whatnot. Right. But we got the basics. But she, we know the facts, and the fact is, she's facing a murder charge. That's that's just bizarre. But hopefully, the laws will change as far as what stipulations and you know especially all the marks that she had I mean come on now normally when they see visible marks it's normally they go the other way with the, with the abuser but I guess it just depends on the officer who's in charge and unfortunately there's no protocol Let's no, check. And, you know I was reading somewhere there's no statistics actually written like there's no percentage record to identify how many women that are in prison mm-hmm. are domestic violence cases Mm-hmm. There's no information to be found. Like, there's no specific number that says this amount of women is locked up because of the or violence. or it was raised as a defense. At least raised as a defense. I see what you're saying. Um, perhaps somebody needs to write an algorithm or something and do the research. But um, we do got a call from the New York City area. I'm not sure if that is our scheduled guest. Um, if that is our guest, please hit star star to unmute yourself. I just don't want to unmute folks and and then that don't be them. Okay, they have un- unmuted. Um, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Do we have Melissa Holmes on the line? Yes, you do. How are you? I'm doing the best I can under terrible conditions behind these enemy lines of USA Inc. But, you know, it's people doing far worse to me, so I'm not one to complain. And it is just so lovely to have you come on and talk about, you know, this important topic. I really appreciate the work and the services that you are providing. Um, but we hope to speak with you tonight about the various ways how domestic violence intersects with our main topic, and that's prison slavery and how many women find themselves there unjustly as it relates to domestic violence cases. Absolutely. Uh, you know, actually, I was listening, um, you know, to the article that you were reading. And unfortunately, it's it's sad to say, but it's almost like a catch-22. Because what happens in some of these um, situations, uh, I think I heard someone mention about you know, if the police come out and they obviously see scars on you, then it should be obvious to the eye that there has been something going on. But what is um, happening now is 
that when they come out, it's usually the first person that makes that call. So although she may be the one that is suffering, um, you know, it, it's clear to the eye that she's the one that's being abused because you can clearly mm -hmm. see that there's a black eye. You know, she has well, she had thirty three. Like that. 33 physical marks, including bite marks, um, Miss exactly. Holmes. And then what was also odd to me, Miss Holmes, and, um, you know, after you respond, I want to turn it over to Khadijah because she was looking very forward to speaking with you about this topic. But also, okay, think about witnesses. The other witness was her brother who was fighting with, who came over there to intervene and to get this guy to leave, and he wouldn't leave and started fighting with him. So you got two witnesses saying this guy was the aggressor and started it. And, you know, yeah, they lied in the beginning, and the guy said that he shot him trying to protect his sister, but she, you know, told the truth and said, no, they were fighting. I was the one who shot him. So you got two witnesses that this guy was the aggressor and he was giving a warning, but yet, and then with the physical uh, evidence on her body, they still decided to charge her. That I just can't wrap my mind around uh, how that prosecutor you know, came it, to that it, decision. It is very, very, um, it's very, very difficult to even understand. There are so many um, small technicalities and things that they go on. If you've gone in and you have lied from the beginning, yes, indeed, you may have lied. You know, it may have been for a legitimate reason. You know, you wanted to save the other party or whatever, but they don't take that into accountability. The first thing they think about is, okay, well, you're not even credible because you lied right out the gate. So all right out the gate, your credibility is already shot. So now... When it comes that you do have witnesses that come forth and say, okay, well, listen, you know, this is really what happened. They're sort of kind of on the fence about whether or not they should believe you until they actually have circumstance evidence. But what happens is, like I said, if he was a person, if she had 50 marks on her, if he was the person that called for assistance first, she's going to jail. They always, and I, I tell people this all the time, this is why it is so, so very important for people to be become active and not just sit on their behinds and wait till certain things happen. You have to be active. You have to participate in certain things like getting laws changed. They have lobby day up in Albany where we get that opportunity to go up there and sit and plead with the senators and the people of importance up there that hold those seats, that could possibly change or help us change the laws or add something or take something out when it doesn't benefit the victim of domestic violence. But with that being said, people don't understand that it's strength in numbers. So although I am just one person and people think that I'm making all of this noise, it's because I'm doing my part. But Yes, I can make noise and it goes but so far and it gets to maybe some of the important people that I need to reach. But they don't understand that if I have another 500 people behind me making the same kind of noise, they get to hear it's louder. Then you get to get to those people where we need to be out in Washington, D.C. And that is something that I am currently... Um, fighting for now i started this um this uh um, expo what i call a survivor's expo of uh, the beginning of this year my vision for this expo is for this expo to one day be as big as the million man march the million women march the essence festival and things of that nature to get a million survivors together collectively so that we can then go to the steps of Washington, D.C., just like the Million Man March and the Million Women March, go there so we can voice our concerns and let them know that this, this y'all are looking at this as if it's just a page in the book and, okay, well, you know, this so you know, it's having its, its moment now. It's, it's going to die down. This is not, it is getting worse. <laughs> But until I have those 500, a million people standing behind me in this fight, 
it is going to continue to look like we're not even making a dent in it because it takes more than just me. And then when people can understand that they have to stop being selfish. If I have so many organizations that I know that are fighting for the same exact thing, but everybody is so selfish because they think one organization is going to outshine the other organization instead of looking at it as if this organization win, we all win. You know, it's not just what, a love shouldn't hurt thing. It's just not a be kind. You know, it, it, whatever the name of the organization is, we all win collectively. But yes. we all must come together and stop figuring out. Oh well, love shouldn't hurt is going to outshine this, and look at it as if love shouldn't hurt wins. We are all winning and come together so that we can fight this thing together. I agree one hundred percent. May I speak? This is Rosada Torres. I'm the author of Abuse Hidden Beyond the Badge, and I just want to tell you, my sister Holmes, you made my day. This is something that I have been yelling here in Philadelphia for almost ten years about how we should come together. And because all oh, she wrote a book, it has nothing to do with the book. Mm-hmm. It has with the survivor and how we can help one another. Claire Colon and I, who was a survivor of police officer involved in domestic violence, we've been we've done videos, we've been to to your state, we've been everywhere trying to get people to hear us, to come and support us. And I understand. You have me at hello. I will go to Washington. I will stand there alongside with you. Ladies. I will. See, this is, this, is my, this is what I'm trying to get at now. What? I am trying to get at least um, two or three advocates in different states. Oh, yes. So that way, if I may interrupt. Re- I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm, uh-huh. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we have a schedule. We need to take a station ID. And, um, you know, on the other side, uh, also, you know, I want to uh, bring the other host in and see if they have any questions. An hour go by so fast, y'all. So I apologize for, for the interruption. But what you're talking about is coalition building among organizations. And we've seen it in the past. Um, but the problem is, I'm not going to say this the problem in every case because you sound very passionate and you're doing the work because that's where your heart is. But there is a such thing as the nonprofit industrial complex where it becomes a competition among organizations for grants instead of re- instead of sharing resources. You know, since we're all exactly. fighting for the same thing, it becomes a competition for who's going to get exactly. this grant or get that grant or get that award or get this recognition. And we'll have you. And that's why I'm proud of the new abolitionist radio, uh, excuse me, the new abolitionist movement in, in, uh, uh, 2017, we had a march on Washington and it was like, man, I swear it was almost 20 different organizations and we had a bunch of keynote speakers from the organizations. Now it wasn't big as the Million Man March. We might have had maybe 500 people in attendance from all over the country, but the beautiful thing, the people that couldn't make it, they held a rally simultaneously as, as the one in Washington DC in their state. So that was beautiful solidarity and I know what you're speaking to and we need that. So I'm going to take a quick station identification break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be back on the other side and I want to let our our guest, Miss Melissa Holmes, finish uh, her comment and then bring in uh, Brother Tyson and Sister Khadijah for any questions. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm not a writer. Okay. Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. And welcome back. And if you find this broadcast to be constructive and you know someone who should hear the information that we share with you over these airways, this, the programs are always podcasted. You can find our podcast on many different platforms, but our home is blacktalkradionetwork.com and share the new abolitionist radio podcast, uh, with those individuals. And, um, Melissa, you were saying before the break, 
yes, what I was saying was my goal now is to try to connect to at least two, three advocates in different states. So that when we have have a conference call about exactly what it is I am trying to do, so that they would be responsible for getting people in their state to come aboard. So if I decide, okay, this is the day that we're going to do it, we're going to go to Washington, D.C., so I have somebody in Pennsylvania that say, okay, well, they got a busload of people that are going to show up. I have somebody in Atlanta say they got a busload of people. So these advocates will be responsible in their state for getting people to come aboard this mission, to stand in Washington, D.C., so that's where I'm at now is trying to pull advocates that I know are going to, one, do the work because I do the work. I need people that are going to get out there and, and grind just as hard as I am grinding to make sure that this thing happens as a huge success because this is so, so needed. I think that once we get there and, like you said, have keynote speakers of women who have technically um, – lost their, almost lost their lives where I cheated death, death twice. Like, we need to get women there who have been, their lives have been altered in some way, whether it's been physically, whether they've been shot or wherever, so that these people out in Washington, D.C., this is a real problem that you all need to address. And you can't just not just not address it and just let it go and then hope and sit and pray that it is going to go away because that's not what's going to happen but on top of all of that to let them know that although that we are survivors we have now got to stand up and be the voice for the voiceless for the women that are not here who have lost their lives Due to domestic violence. Or in prison, I would say, you know, but Absolutely. Mo- Mo- Mother Khadijah. Absolutely. Mother Khadijah, Tyson, please jump in. Yes, well, first of all, I want to say, Melissa Holmes, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I know Thank you. And us advocates and activists must stand together regardless of, of, of the, the haters we have or the, the, the support, the less support we have. The key thing is, we got to find a way to. to, to make sure to end the, the legalized slavery that the Constitution has on, on females and men when it comes to how they're being treated. And that's what I wanted to ask you, Melissa, is with all the people that, and, and survivors that you have helped, what do you think is the most challenging within the legal system that they have to deal with? Oh, good question. Um, because I come across, there's just so much that is wrong with the legal system that really, really needs to be tightened up. So to give you, um, to say that there is just one thing that is extremely challenging, um, that I just can't do because there's so many. Um, I would say um, housing is definitely challenging. I think when a woman is out of a situation and she is fleeing for her life. I think that there is just certain things um, when going into the shelter system. They seem to ask questions at the wrong time. Your first priority should be making sure that this woman and her kids are safe first and then go back and backtrack and get all the necessary information that you need. But your first priority is should be to make sure that she is okay and that is not what they're doing. Two, as far as um, order protection, order protection these days don't hold much weight at all. They pay these order protection attention. They are obviously paying them no attention. Nobody is afraid of this because there are no consequences. Although they try to scare you, well, you can't come in within 30 feet of her and this is what's going to happen. They, these jokers are not paying that any attention. There should be something stiffer in there for them to understand how serious this is. That if you come, if somebody gets an order of protection, they need to understand the seriousness of that. Also, oh, Miss Holmes, are, before you move on, before you move uh-huh. on, now I re- recall a story where a woman sued a police department for not 
helping her and she was attacked and had a active domestic violence protective order so she sued the police and the police argument their lawyers arguments i can't recall the details in the department but i recall the article and their response um through litigation was that hey we're not responsible that's not the police job to provide you with security from this person you know and 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 the judge ruled and in the police favor and i've seen other you know where uh the scotus has said that it protect and serve that is not the police job the their job is to enforce the laws and these are these are court rulings and you know it it, it's just it's kind of sad may i say something in regards to to this because as um my my abusers were um one was a a high-ranking chief inspector for the philadelphia police um, department and the other one was the state trooper and Many years ago, when I when I filed a lawsuit against a trooper that dragged me with the state police car and left me in the middle of the road, bleeding and begging for help, she, this lady, Diane Wittendorf, told me that they never go against the police department. This is something that you must instill to your listeners. It is... In order for them to, for your families to sue a department, you have to die. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit upset right now because you have to die. I am visually impaired because of what happened to me from my ex-husband and this state trooper. I walk with a seeing eye cane. This is how my life is for the rest of my life. So to your listeners, if they think going after the police department and suing them, you will lose. You will not win. They, the court, which is broken, and I know Ms. Holmes agree with me, they will not go against the police department. Mm-hmm. They will not. And it, it, it's, it's sad. It is a very, very sad situation. Hello. You know, I go to these meetings at the recent... And one of the things is that they they need better training. They need to be retrained on how to deal with the domestic violence situation. It has got to happen because... Just a second, Brother Tyson. Uh-huh. Just a second, Brother Tyson. I didn't mean to cut in, but she's absolutely right. When you're dealing with the police department, they consider that as a brotherhood. They are a gang. They are a gang. They are a certified... And given the permission to be who they are, they are a gang. They, they are the badges in blue, and they don't care about no, nobody else. It's about a brotherhood within themselves. So they get the government themselves, and it's like it's like you know the world go to war with all these other countries for doing foul things, but the United States don't chastise their own. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So it's like. Right. They're, they're given permission to be able to use force by any means necessary, and they take up for one another. Yeah, it's just a culture look of violence. Just look, just, hey, just look at the woman who went in an apartment and killed a black man, and, and said that it was her apartment. Uh, Amber Geyer, I believe, is her name out of uh, Dallas, Texas. She worked for the, and but she has been charged though in that case. She has been charged with murder. But let, let me share this statistic with y'all. And in this it, domestic violence and, you know, police, there is organizations who have done studies on them, right? So it, research is suggesting that family violence is what they're, the term they're using is two to four times higher in law, in the law enforcement yes. community than in the general population. So I've said this in the past, you all, that, hey, if they're beating their wives and girlfriends, then, hey, it's not a far leap for them to then go on the street and beat strangers. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, see, this is this is something that I have been saying. And, um, you know, when I go out and I speak or I am coaching someone, as far as the order protection, you know, I get women that ask me all the time if you think, do you think I should go and, and file for an order protection? It is so difficult for me to sign off on that because I know it really holds, it, it really don't hold any weight. So for me to tell another woman that she should 
it, it, it's, it's kind of hard. Now, what I will say is to make sure you keep a paper trail, even if you have to keep your own journal, you keep your own paper trail. And I know this for a fact that when, you know, you, you try to do everything by the book and when it seems like the system fails you, this is where a lot of people, and including myself, because when I was in my abusive relationship, the first one with my husband, the system had failed me so bad that I felt like I had nowhere to fall back on. It felt like just all odds was against me. And then that's when we start to think, well, you know, if, if I try to do things by the system and I'm not getting, you know, anything out of it, we start to think of ways of how we can do it. And that's what happened to me, that the system had failed me. I had nowhere to turn. They had stripped my son, ripped my son away from me out of my arms and had given him to my husband. And in a desperate time of need, I, we went to court and they ended up giving him my son. I left the courthouse. I was so angry that this man that I had married looked down at me like I was crap on the bottom of his shoe and walked out there and he had just won custody of my son. I left the courthouse. I was so angry that day and I cried and I hollered and I screamed and I threw up in the garbage can making myself sick. And I said to myself, you tried to do this the right way and nothing happened. I was he abusing my husband. Was he abusing you too? I put a hit out on my husband and I left the courthouse with the intention on having my husband killed. And is this the person who was also um, um, physically abusing you? This was domestic violence in this relationship as well? Okay. Listen, we we are running out of time. We got like 10 minutes. So Mother Khadijah, Brother Tyson, um, our other guests. I'm sorry. I, I forgot your name and you've been a guest on the program before. It's it, right. It's Rosa. My, um, Rosa. My father, Rosaura. But I always say, call me Rosa because it's easier. Yeah, yeah, Rosa. Yeah. So we got 10 minutes left in the broadcast. Um, Brother Tyson, did you want to add something else and then kick it to Mother Khadijah and we'll get final comments from, I'll just say, our two guests? Brother Tyson, are you there? We can't hear you. Let me check the board. Okay, we lost them. I'm sorry. They have issues with their phone sometimes. Um, so we we got about 10 minutes. Um, you know, again, this program is focused. Oh, I need to ask you a question, um, Mrs. Holmes. Um, the question yeah. is, and this is something we started doing, uh, something new we do with all our guests. Uh, the name of this program, of course, is New Abolitionist Radio. Um, for many, it's self-explanatory. Others, they'd be like, well, what are they trying to abolish? And we're trying to abolish slavery. Well, it'd be like, well, slavery was abolished in 1865 uh, when, when Lincoln signed the 13th Amendment and the states ratified it into the Constitution. But the 13th Amendment says this. This is a, Let me pull it up right quick so I can... You know, I, I do have it memorized, but sometimes I mess up. But Section 1 of the 13th Amendment says, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, where other parties shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any subject to their jurisdiction. Now, we have taken the view, and we founded this program in 2014, on the interpretation that what I just read to you did not abolish slavery. And we have a lot of innocent people in prison right now, or prison slavery, as I call it. Um, but also, even if you are guilty of something, I don't think that slavery should be a punishment for anyone. I would rather they be rehabilitated and their uh-huh. various issues that led them to make the bad choices that they make be addressed. So, cause they might integrate back into society. So we need to repair those individuals, but I don't think uh-huh. slavery is appropriate punishment. So, I mean, do, do you agree with our interpretation that slavery was never abolished if we're going by the 13th amendment? Absolutely. I, I, <laughs> Oh, I, I absolutely. I think that, um, you know, I, I think people just need to really take the time out to understand um, exactly what's happening. Um, I think a lot of people 
they tend to not do the research themselves and just jump on the bandwagon of somebody else when they hear something instead of really knowing the ins and outs of what's happening. And I absolutely, I think that, how do you get rehabilitated in prison? You know, here in New York, they have um, the Women's Coalition of Imprisonment Women. And so I have been going to um, some several of their meetings. And one of the things that I was really fascinated about is that when I came aboard to um, a friend of mine told me about them and she brought me in, the, how they help the women that are in prison due to domestic violence. They go up and they speak out for these women to try to get them lesser sentences. And so they actually are out there doing um, the legwork and so forth and the other. One of the things that they were finding is that most of these women have had a paper trail. You know, police have been called out to their residents numerous of times. So it's not like that was the first time that they just showed up and then they had killed them. Like, there were numerous calls out there before it led up to her having to kill her abuser. Right, right. And they didn't take any of those things into consideration. You know, if she was a crackhead, they, they looked at, well, they were fighting over drugs opposed to what the real situation was. So I absolutely agree. Okay. Um, now, one of the things we've been hearing about a lot lately, and I have another program that I host by myself called BTR News, um, and I I have this regular guy I have come on. He's a lawyer, and he works behind the scenes on prosecutors' campaigns, but he only works with progressive prosecutors. And, and so, you know, I was thinking about that prior to, you know, you coming on. And I was thinking about this woman in Alabama and the many more women just like her um, who are in prison because the system failed uh, to protect her. And when she protected herself, um, you know, now she's looking at a lifetime in prison. So, you know, with the, we hear this term progressive prosecutor, you know, like Kim Fox, who, uh, is in Chicago and saying, Hey, yeah, Jesse Smollett lied. You know, that's what she said that he lied and all this. But you know what? We got violent criminals on the street, other cases that we need to devote our resources towards you know, addressing these issues and, and we're not going to, uh, uh, prosecute him, you know, so uh -huh. it's about, um, prosecutorial discretion. We've had other, you know, prosecutors say, Hey, we're not prosecuting any more cannabis possession charges and what have you. But I also think that this is an area for progressive prosecutors in the area of domestic violence. You know, okay, uh -huh. she shot that man, but is it really, really given the extenuating circumstances, uh, most constructive or is it serving justice to put her into prison slavery for the rest of her life? You know? So prosecutors got to yeah. get more progressive on this issue, I feel. Do you have any final and thoughts? Any final thoughts as we get ready to wrap it up? And please tell people how they can connect with you. Yes, they can reach me. I'm all over social media. Uh, that's Facebook. That's Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, and some other ones. You can either type in Melissa Holmes or you can type in the organization's name, which is Love Shouldn't Hurt NY Inc. Um and my last and final words is that people really need to get involved. Don't sit and wait until it's your situation. And you, that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your situation now or it will be your situation. But, you know, it might not be it now or next week or next month. But it's one thing about those tables. Those tables always turn. So don't look down on somebody because their situation is not your situation today or you feel like you don't need to get involved because if anybody have kids and you have sisters and you have brothers because men are being abused as well, um, you know that it's a chance at any given time that it can happen to you. Just be, you know, just try to be more sympathetic and empathetic to someone's situation instead of being so judgmental because being judgmental don't help anybody at any given time. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Melissa Holmes, CEO of Love Shouldn't Hurt. Uh, I have linked to the support group 
on Facebook. I hope that if you're in need of such support that you will definitely check them out. Um, we lost Tyson and, you know, I just want to close out the program by saying, you know, I'm just so thankful that the people, um, who we bring on to this show are doing the work that they do, you know, cause somebody's got to do it. And if, if, if not uh-huh. us, then who somebody's got to do right. it, but we got to support them as well. You know, you might not be that person that your your strengths are public speaking or networking with politicians and lobbying because it does take a certain type of skill set and people type skills when you're trying to manipulate the system to get positive legislation passed. But you know Uh what? That might not be your skill set, but there might be something you could do. You know, there might right. be something you can do. So ask these organizations how you can volunteer. And if they're nonprofits, they can always use a financial donation because the work ain't free. Okay, it costs it. to do the work. <laughs> All right. So with that said, I want to uh, say good night uh, for myself and for my fellow co-hosts. Thank you for joining us on New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be back live next week at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Good night. Good night. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, only really just want this freedom.